So we're finishing uh, Ecclesiastes and we're reading today from the final chapter. You'll find that on page 671 in our Pew Bibles. It's Ecclesiastes chapter 12, page 671. Remember your creator in the days of your youth, before the days of trouble come, and the years approach when you will say, I find no pleasure in them. Before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars grow dark and the clouds return after the rain, when the keepers of the house tremble and the strong men stoop, when the grinders cease because they're few and those looking through the windows grow dim, when the doors to the street are closed and the sound of grinding fades. When people rise up at the sound of birds, but all their songs grow faint. When people are afraid of the heights and dangers in the streets. When the almond tree blossoms and the grasshopper drags itself along and desire no longer is stirred. Then people go to their eternal home and mourners go about the streets. Remember him before the silver cord is severed and the golden bowl is broken, before the pitcher is shattered at the spring and the wheel broken at the well and the dust returns to the ground it came from and the spirit returns to God who gave it. Meaningless Meaningless, says the teacher, everything is meaningless. Not only was the teacher wise, but he also imparted knowledge to the people. He pondered and searched out and set in order many proverbs. The teacher searched to find just the right words, and what he wrote was upright and true. The words of the wise are like goads, they collected sayings like firmly embedded nails given by one shepherd. Be warned, my son, of anything in addition to them. Of making many books there is no end, and much study wearies the mind. Now all has been heard. Here is the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the duty of all mankind. For God will bring every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing, whether it is good or evil. Good morning, everyone. Well, we've made it to the end of Ecclesiastes. Uh, you may be thinking whether we would, but we have. Um, I hope that you have enjoyed this book. I think it's a wonderful little book, even though it's quite puzzling at times, isn't it? And I heard that some people, uh, I won't name them, um, didn't really like Ecclesiastes. So I'm, uh, one of my aims has been to uh, hope that you like it a little bit more at the end than you did at the beginning. So I hope perhaps I've achieved that aim. Um, I think it's a great book. Anyway, let's pray before we look at these uh, last two chapters. God, our Father, you promise in your word that if any person lacks wisdom, they should ask you and you will give it to them. 
And we confess this morning that we lack the wisdom that we need to live in this fallen, meaningless world. And so we want to pray that you might give it to us as you have promised through this part of your word. Father, please, by your spirit, teach us. uh, Give us hearts that are ready to bend towards your will and that are ready to take on your wisdom so that we can approach this world in a way that honours you and brings glory to your Son, the Lord Jesus. And we ask this in his name. Amen. Well, this week was a big news week, wasn't it? Uh, Manly lost to the rabbits due to a bad ref call. Um, 80,000 students uh, went on strike to express their concerns about climate change. That was just in, in this country, millions around the world. Our Prime Minister and his wife from the Shire visited Donald and Melania in the White House. But the biggest story of all was the Powerball on Thursday night. $150 million up for grabs. Uh, It was expected that one in three Australians would buy a ticket, hoping to get lucky and strike it rich. But the odds of doing that are pretty high, apparently one in 134 million. That's the chance, uh, the odds against you winning or for you winning, whichever way you might want to look at it. Um, Susan told me that the chances of winning if you enter are about the same as the chances of winning if you don't enter. (laughs) And uh, so I didn't enter and I hoped to win. Uh, But of course I didn't. Uh, but three people did. Uh, and a few weeks ago, there was a $100 million Powerball. You're probably getting a bit worried about my interest in Powerball at this point, but um, purely research. But there was a $100 million Powerball a couple of weeks ago that was won by one man. But not only that, he also won Division Two something like 19 times and got another $1 million for, his, um, for his, uh, his trouble. Now, it seems to me that's, that's even higher odds. That's got to be very uh, unlikely. Uh, but some people just seem to be born lucky, don't they? And others aren't. Uh, take uh, Sutomo Yamaguchi. He's been reckoned to be the world's unluckiest man because only two cities in the world have been destroyed by atomic bombs, and he was in both of them. He was on business in Hiroshima when the first atomic bomb dropped on that city. Uh, His eardrums exploded. Uh, He was temporarily blinded by the light, but he survived and managed to scramble his way to safety and head home to Nagasaki, where he lived. And a few days later, as he was describing to his boss what happened, he heard a sound which probably only he, of all people in the world, would have recognised another atomic bomb detonating just a couple of miles away. Now, it's hard to know what to make of these kind of experiences, isn't it? Luck, good fortune, providence, call it what you like, but life in this world is uncertain. Sometimes you're up, sometimes you're down, sometimes the sun shines, sometimes it's rain and clouds. And that's what the teacher has been telling us all along, isn't it, as we've worked our way through Ecclesiastes. In chapter 3, verses 1 to 3, he said there's a time for everything. 
season for every activity under heaven, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant, a time to uproot, a time to kill, a time to heal, a time to tear down and a time to build, a time for everything. But how do you know from day to day what time it is? How do you know if you should be laughing or weeping or sowing or reaping, scattering stones or picking them up? How do you know what time it is? That's the big problem of life in this meaningless, changeable, fallen world. Uh, and, and, you know, and the big challenge is how do you live in a world like that where, where, where you just don't know what time it is? And so in these two closing chapters of Ecclesiastes, the teacher has some advice for us, advice that will help us to live wisely and sensibly in this fallen world that we live in. And the first thing he says is to be bold. Chapter 11, verses 1 to 6. Ship your grain across the sea. After many days you may receive a return. I I prefer the King James Version, which used to say, uh, cast your bread on the water. Although this is easier to understand, isn't it? I I never could work out why you would put your bread on the water because it just goes all soggy and yucky. But this is what it's talking about. Ship your grain across the sea. After many days you may receive a return. Invest in seven ventures, yes, in eight. You do not know what disaster may come upon the land. If clouds are full of water, they pour rain on the earth. Whether a tree falls to the south or to the north, in the place where it falls, there it will lie. Whoever watches the wind will not plant. Whoever looks at the clouds will not reap. As you do not know the path of the wind or how a body is formed in a mother's womb, so you cannot understand the work of God, the maker of all things." Sow your seed in the morning, and at evening let your hands not be idle, for you do not know which will succeed, whether this or that, or whether both will do equally well. Now, what's he saying here? Well, he's saying life is uncertain. You think you've got it all figured out? You haven't. And if you wait until you reckon you've got it all figured out before you act, then you'll never do anything. And so because of that, he's saying, act, be bold, step out, cast your bread on the waters, for after many days you'll find it again. He's saying, throw caution to the wind, launch out. You may not be able to calculate the sort of return you'll get, or even if you'll get a return, but it's better to take a risk than to do nothing at all. And you remember Jesus' parable. He had a parable about this, didn't he? About the servants who were given talents when the master went away. And two of them invested the talents and made a return. They were adventurous. They launched out. But the third just buried it in the ground for fear that he might make a loss. And he was condemned by the master. And so the teacher is saying a similar thing here. He's saying, push the boat out from the shore, have a go. But then in verse 2 he says, diversify, give portions to seven, yes to eight. When we uh, lived in WeWar, Susan and I decided to go along to a financial planner and the main bit of advice she gave us was don't put all your eggs in one basket. 
We didn't have that many eggs to worry about at that stage of life. We barely made it from one month to the next. But that, that was the advice. Don't tie up all your money in property or shares or bonds because if it's all in shares and the stock market goes down the tubes, you'll go down the tubes as well. That's what the teacher's saying here. Diversify. Do different things. Then in verses 3 and 4, he says, Don't keep putting things off. Whoever watches the wind will not plant. Whoever looks at the clouds will not reap. When we lived in Ballina, we had a problem with ants around the house. They were always building their little mounds. Uh, and so we bought some spray and uh, decided to spray them. But the trouble was, on the spray, it said that if it was going to rain within six hours of spraying, don't spray. And so every morning I would get up and I'd say, today's the day I'm going to spray these ants, I'm going to get rid of them for good, and I'd look at the clouds and, and I'd say, no, nah, I'd better not, it looks like it's going to rain. And it took me months before I ended up spraying the ants. The teacher says if you live like that, you'll never do anything. You need to act. And then verses 6 to 8, Sow your seed in the morning, and at evening let your hands not be idle, for you do not know which will succeed, whether this or, or that or whether both will do equally, equally well. So he's saying, act, work in the morning and in the evening. Some things you do will succeed, some things will fail. Don't worry about it. Follow the ways of your heart. Have a go. Be bold. Be adventurous. Launch out. Have fun. Because that's the only way to live in this fallen world. Now, last uh, time when we looked at uh, Ecclesiastes, I, I said to you that I find this teacher's advice very helpful and very liberating because often as Christians we have this view of life which causes us to approach things very seriously and very conservatively and very cautiously. But he's saying here, let your hair down, have fun, uh, take, take uh, chances, have a go. It's good advice. But it's advice that we need to, that, that can be dangerous if it's taken to extremes. And I think in the next section, the teacher offers a corrective. He says we need to be bold, we need to have fun, but we need to make sure that it's good, clean fun. We need to make sure that we are godly, because despite the many uncertainties of life, one thing is certain, and that is death and judgment. And I think that's what he's alluding to there in verses 7 and 8. Light is sweet, and it pleases the eye to see the sun. However many years anyone may live, let them enjoy them all. But let them remember the days of darkness, for there will be many. Everything to come is meaningless. So the teacher's saying, be bold, be bold, but not rash. That's his first piece of advice. Secondly, though, he says, be joyful. Verse 9, you who are young, be happy while you are young and let your heart give you joy in the days of your youth. Follow the ways of your heart and whatever your eyes see, but know that for all these things, God will bring you into judgment. Now notice at this point the writer is addressing himself to a young man or a young woman, a young person. Whether this is an imaginary person or a real person, we don't really know. But it's a device that's often used in wisdom. Uh, the teacher addressing the young person who's the student. 
And he's saying to this young man, be happy while you are young. Let your heart give you joy in the days of your youth. He's saying enjoy your youth while you can. Don't waste those years when you're young and strong and carefree, but enjoy them. My father used to say to me when I was only small, youth is a wonderful thing. It's a pity it's wasted on the young. And he said that, I think, because when he was 36, he got cancer and he uh, lived quite a long time after that, about 30 years, but his health was never any good after that. Uh, He was never able to go and swim or do many of the things that he used to love to do before he got sick. And so he was saying to me, don't waste your youth, enjoy yourself while you can. A couple of years ago, there was a sociological study done in the United States where 50 people who were all 95 and over were asked, if you had your life to live again, what would you do? And three answers dominated their responses. They said, I would reflect more, I would take more risks, and I would do more things that would live on after I die. And I think the teacher would agree with both my father and with those uh, 50 people. Now, there's a lesson here, I think, for those of us who are parents, and that is let your kids be kids. Let them enjoy their young years. Uh, There's so much pressure on kids these days, isn't there, for them to grow up quickly and get on with life. We want them to be successful, and so they do tutoring on Saturday and they go to Sunday school on Sunday and they do everything under the sun uh, after school during the weekdays. And then they get old and they go to study at uni and they end up earning money. And, you know, they're always busy. They never have time to enjoy themselves. But the teacher's saying, young man, enjoy your youth. Let your heart be filled with joy when you're young. But while you're having all this fun, remember, God will bring you into judgment. And this is the real turning point in the book. Uh, because up to this point, he's been focusing on the uncertainties of life. You know, you turn back to Ecclesiastes chapter 1, where we began weeks and weeks ago. Chapter 1, verse 6. He talks there about the wind blowing to the south and turning to the north, and round and round it goes, ever returning on its course. All streams flow into the sea, yet the sea is never full. To the place the streams come from, there they return again. All things are wearisome, more than one can say. The eye never has enough of seeing, nor the ear its fill of hearing. And then in uh, chapter 3, there's a time for everything, a season for every activity under heaven, time to be born, a time to die. Everywhere you look, there is this endless cycle of uncertainty and meaninglessness. And yet in the middle of that, there is this great reality of judgment. And so the teacher says, have fun, don't waste your youth, but make sure it's good, clean fun, because judgment is coming. You are answerable for what you do. So that's the first thing we need to remember. The second thing we need to remember is our creator. Chapter 12, verse 1, remember your creator in the days of your youth, before the days of trouble come and the years approach when you will say, I find no pleasure in them. It's an old person speaking there with a croaky voice saying, you know, there's, there's no pleasure in these years anymore. He says, remember your creator and do it while you're young. 
Now, I'm sure that to many of us, this is a surprising piece of advice because I think one of the most believed pieces of public wisdom is that if you want to have fun, the way you do it is by forgetting God, not by remembering him. You know, they have this picture of God as this, you know, cosmic killjoy who's sitting up on the clouds with a big club in his hand, ready to dong you on the head if you do something that's a little bit enjoyable. And the teacher says, no, that is not the perspective. Remember your creator while you are young. His perspective is you will enjoy your youth much more if you enjoy it in relation with him. And I don't know, and I know many people who will say, yes, he's right. That's, that's correct. When I was growing up in Barrel, I would often go to the Christian bookshop down there, and there was a lovely lady who was the manager. Uh, she became a Christian in her 50s. And I remember on a number of occasions this woman saying to me, Grant, you are so lucky to come to know the Lord, to come to be a Christian when you're young. And she, and she said often uh, with this kind of sadness in her voice, I've wasted so many years apart from the Lord. And friends, that is the perspective of the teacher. It's far better to remember your creator when you are young than when you are old. Better to remember him at 10 than at 20. Better to remember him at 30 than at 50. Better to remember him at 60 than at 70 or at 80 than at 81. However young or old you are, it's better not to waste any more time than you already have apart from him. And so you've never gotten around to, to, to remembering him, to committing your life to him. Then, then the teacher is saying, do it today. Better today than tomorrow. Don't waste any more time in your life not remembering and serving God. So the teacher is taking the cane to the idea that says the way to order your life is to go out, have all your fun, sow your wild oats, live it up, party hard, and then when you've got one foot in the grave and the other on a banana skin, you come to the Lord and you say, look, here I am, Lord. The body's not what it used to be. There's a lot of bits that don't work anymore, but you can have it all. I give it all to you. Young, strong and free, I come to thee. That's how many people think, yeah, that's the way to do it, some people say. You know, when you're about to croak it, come to the Lord and let him forgive all your sins and, 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 and sail off to heaven. But the teacher says, no, do it before that. And he paints this vivid picture to hammer his point home. Chapter 12, verse 1, remember your creator in the days of your youth before the days of trouble come and the years approach when you say, I find no pleasure in them. I used to play golf on Tuesday mornings at Randwick uh, with a group of retired guys mostly and uh, they would spend all of their time lamenting the things they couldn't do anymore. Um, you know, can't get to this green in one anymore. It takes me several shots to get there. I used to play off 25 and now I'm, you know, I used to play off seven rather and now I play off 25. You know, as you get older, there, there are all these pleasures that you can't enjoy. Increasingly, the things you like to do are taken from you. And the writer is saying, remember your creator before that. Then verses 2 and 3, before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars grow dark and the clouds return after the rain, when the keepers of the house tremble and the strong men stoop, when the grinders cease because they are few, 
and those looking through the windows grow dim. The keepers of the house are your hands. They're not a bit shaky now, you know, not, not stable like they once were and steady like they used to be. And the strong man are probably your legs or your back. It's not as straight, not as strong as they were. And the grinders are your teeth, you know, things that you know, grind the food so you can swallow it. And they, they start to fall out. They're few. Lots of gaps in your smile nowadays. And those looking through the windows are your eyes. They begin to frost over so that you can't see uh, any as well. Uh, you see less and less or you have to buy heavier and heavier glasses, or like me, put eye drops in every morning and evening so that the pressure doesn't get too much. Uh, He's he's, he's drawing this picture of of getting old. Verse 4, when the doors to the street are closed and the sound of the grinding fades, when people rise up at the sound of birds, but all their songs grow faint. The time was when you used to sleep through the alarm. Now... You're up at three in the morning, uh, you're up with the birds, but you can't hear the birds because, well, your hearing's gone. You can't hear anymore. Um, And then verse five, when people are afraid of heights and of dangers in the streets, when the almond tree blossoms and the grasshopper drags itself along and desire is no longer stirred, then people go to their eternal homes and mourners go about the streets. The time was when you used to be able to scale a ladder and get on the roof and wander about and fix it up, Uh, but now you tremble in your boots at the prospect of changing a light globe. And the almond tree, well, that's your hair, if you're lucky to have some when you're old. It goes grey, doesn't it, like the almond tree does. used to be black or brown, now it's this silvery white. And the grasshopper drags itself along. The King James Version used to see the grasshopper uh, is heavy. So even, even something as, as light as a grasshopper becomes heavy when you're old. And desire is no longer stirred. Well, we know what he's talking about there, don't we? He's talking about Viagra, folks. Uh, that's what he's talking about. He's very earthy, this, this uh, poem. It's very real. Verses 6 and 7, remember him before the silver cord is severed and the golden bowl is broken, before the pitcher is shattered at the spring and the wheel broken at the well and the dust returns to the ground it came from and the spirit returns to the God who gave it. He's talking about the reality of growing old and dying and he's making the point that the older you get, the fewer things you can do. When you're young and strong, you can take on the world. Nothing's too hard. Nothing makes you afraid. But when you get old, almost everything becomes difficult, including changing your mind. And so his advice is, young man, young woman, don't waste those precious years of your youth away from the Lord. Don't live your life apart from him. Remember him while you are young. Decide for him while you are young. You'll have much more fun if you do that. Now, as I said, this cuts across all of our conventional wisdom, which says life is much more fun if you forget God than if you remember him. But at that point, conventional wisdom is wrong because we need to remember who it is that's writing this book. It's Solomon, the wisest man who ever lived. And he says if you want to enjoy life in, in this fallen, meaningless world, then you need to be bold, 
You need to fill your heart with joy and you need to remember your creator when you are young, not when you're old. Solomon, as we saw at the beginning of the book, set out to study and explore by wisdom all that is done under the sun. He wanted to find out the meaning of life and he discovered that money will not make you happy. Chasing after pleasure won't make you happy. Neither will success or even wisdom, although he concedes that being wise is better than folly because the wise man at least can understand what's going on around about him. But if you're truly wise, then you'll see that what is going on around you is death and the grave. In the end, it is the haunting reality of death that causes the teacher to render his verdict on the world, that it's meaningless, it is vain, and it's fallen. How do we live in this fallen world? Well, he's given us a couple of pieces of advice as we've gone on, that, that repetitive bit of advice that we've seen as we've worked our way through the book, where he says, enjoy what you can. Enjoy those vestiges of the Garden of Eden, the bottle of wine, uh, time with friends, uh, the good things that come along in life. Sure, there'll be bad times, there'll be blows, but enjoy the good things that you can, remembering that they point us uh, f- uh, uh, they remind us of the Garden of Eden and of the Garden of God that is ahead of us. That's his first piece of advice. Secondly, he says here, remember God, remember your Creator, and the sooner you do it, the better. That's what he's been emphasising in these closing chapters, and it's where he finishes in verse 13. Now all has been heard. Here is the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments for this is the duty of all mankind. See, there is a lot in this book that has been obscure and unclear, but this is very clear and very simple, isn't it? What is your duty? What is my duty? It is to fear God, to remember him, because life in this fallen world does not make any sense without him. And life in the world to come is not possible without him. That's the perspective of the New Testament, isn't it? Uh, That the the New Testament adds to Ecclesiastes. Because Solomon, where he stood in the flow of biblical history, did not know everything that we know, that you and I know. He could see that the world was fallen, that most of what happens here is rendered meaningless and vain because of sin and death. He could see that God would bring all people to judgment for their part in that sin. But he did not see that God in the fullness of time would send his own son into the world to pay for that sin and to render death dead and to give life the last word. He did not see that. But we see that. We know that the meaninglessness of life in this world of sin and, and, and folly has been given meaning through Jesus and through his death on the cross for us. And that's why it's so important that we take the advice of the teacher to fear God and to, remember, uh, to live our lives remembering him. But be careful, because remembering doesn't mean that we'll give him an occasional thought every now and then. It really means staking our life on him every moment of the day 
because ultimately he is the only one who can overcome death and in doing so give meaning and direction to life in this fallen world. Well, let's pray. Father, we thank you for uh, this book that we've been able to work our way through over the last couple of weeks. Uh, We thank you for the wisdom and the honesty of the teacher. And we pray, Heavenly Father, that uh, you would help us to move forward remembering his words. We do want to be wise people. Uh, We want to be people who are like your son, the Lord Jesus, in whom all the riches of wisdom and knowledge are hidden. And Father, we pray that in clinging to him, we might uh, have some of this wisdom that uh, the book of Ecclesiastes is talking about, that we might trust in you and fear you all of our days. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.